I'd ask you to take your Bible and open it to Acts chapter 2. We'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 41. This is the word of God. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held in the grave. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he was at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me in Hades, or allow your Holy One to seize decay. You have revealed the path of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I, am comp- I comp- can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God was, had sworn an oath to him to sit one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has, has raised his Jesus, this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, who has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So thus, who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 were added to their birth, were added to them. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord stands forever. Thank y'all. We're going to stay in Acts 2, which David read, and we are talking about, in past weeks and weeks to come, being spirit-filled, spirit-filled people. When I say spirit, I'm not talking about a natural spirit or a human spirit. 
the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, I like to say this, and I've said it even today at this service, that's, that's a very churchy phrase, it's, it's Christianese, uh, and I use that because maybe like you, sometimes I've heard those phrases my whole life, and it really doesn't penetrate, I really don't think about it, it doesn't move my heart because as we, as we talked about at the very beginning of the service, my heart's not open to that because I'm like, yeah, got it, yeah, I know. And what I'm hoping to do is what I hope uh, you will do and your heart be open to uh, the word of the Lord by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will convict us towards changing. And that doesn't mean there's this great need for change, but I think as a Christian, we always need to be changing and growing uh, as an individual and as a church. So we're talking about spirit-filled really because we need it. We need it. Uh, I need it as an individual. You need it as an individual. We need it as a church. And that's not knocking you or me or the church. or It's just... I mean, 85 years old, I'd love to see that, and I still will need to be Holy Spirit-filled, okay? And you will too. And it's this ongoing process. Uh, But I do think when the Holy Spirit grabs you, and He does, okay? You don't grab the Holy Spirit. He grabs you. When that happens, uh, there are some signs and some convictions, and there are some changes that you see and people see. And it's very evident. So I'm hoping and praying for that. What are they? I I don't necessarily know. It's different in each life, different in each church. But the Holy Spirit can grab a person and a church. It's called revival. And it's not produced. It's not orchestrated. It's not organized by by men, women. God can do more in a day than we can do or plan in 50 years. So we need it. And we're going through this book of Acts. And we're in Acts 2. We talked about it last week. And we'll talk about it this week. But here in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit has come down and grabbed the first church. And here we see Peter. This is Peter preaching. And he is preaching a sermon. And he is convicted. So I would uh, I'd ask of y'all just to think about what has happened to Peter. If you know anything about Peter, to give you some context, he was a fisherman. Uh, they believe, and I've, I've read some stuff and seen, uh, seen some stuff. They believe that he uh, um, possibly was an addict, um, was a drunkard. Uh, he was married, had some family problems. Uh, he was not high class or high fluting, okay? He was not educated. And here, he goes off, okay? As we might say. What happened to Peter? He was a changed man. Does that happen in six weeks? Because six weeks before, he had denied knowing Jesus. Well, it can happen in six weeks. It can happen in a moment because he was changed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He no longer feared men or women. And often the fear of man uh, is very uh, big on us, how we look and seem to others in our social circles, in our uh, communities, in our churches. Uh, He no longer had any fear of man. He was convicted. And conviction, conviction is a powerful thing. 
anybody convicted here about anything? I mean, do you have conviction about anything? Is that it? Just one? Anybody convicted about anything? So you're like, I am convicted. I want to stay married. Listen, for those that are married. Convicted about that? If you're a parent, you're convicted about, hey, I'm convicted. You know, I want the best for my kid. Anybody? Raise hand. Come on, guys. I do. Thanks. Yeah. Convicted about, um, I'd like to live a full, long, happy life. Convicted about that? It's like, it's, it's past belief. It's like I want it. It's like I desire it. Even though I wouldn't like, you know, share it, but all my actions express my convictions. The actions of your life express the convictions of your heart. I want to be included in this group. I want to be liked by these folks. Uh, I want to make a difference. Um, even if you don't have anything specific yet, you're like, where's, you know, what's my, I, I talked to somebody this week, and somebody, I'm not going to name his name because you'd know his name, this person asks this person, like, man, what is my purpose in life? So he's convicted that he has this purpose, but he doesn't know where. So I want to ask you, I want to prod you, I want to push you, not just to open your heart to think about what are my convictions? What am I, what am I convicted about? What is life about for me? What do I get passionate about? What do I not just believe, but it is, it is passion, it is conviction. Because here Jesus is Jesus has changed Peter, and he has become a convicted man about Jesus. And so what the Lord did in my heart, as I've been reading about this over and over again over the week, is made me think about my convictions, your convictions, the convictions of this church. What are they? Let's look at Peter's convictions here, because he is convicted about several things that can speak to us and the Holy Spirit can use to fill us. First, he is convicted about, even though he doesn't say this, he's convicted about time. And he's convicted about the present. Because the Spirit comes down, as we saw a couple weeks ago, and it's, it's changed him, and it's changing the church, and there's fire above their heads. We talked about that being real, and, and there's the wind, and there's tongues, and different languages, and, and all that stuff. But he could have just, you know, just sat around enjoying it, being like, man, this is pretty cool, you know. Uh, always wanted to speak French, you know. Or, or like, man, just look at the fight, you know, all that. Could have just enjoyed it. Could have just, just been blessed by the glory of God coming down. And man, he doesn't, uh, he does not rest. He's convicted about time here. It's like no better time than the present to share what this means. And so I would say that about y'all. I mean, to be convicted about time. That each day matters. That each day may be our last. I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a cliche too. But that's very much true. What are you doing with your days? What are you doing with today? What are you doing for lunch? Are we just like complacently just kind of gliding through life? Uh, or, or maybe we're just angrily going through life and bitter. At people, at snubs. And the bitterness and the anger holds us back from making the most of the day. Doing what God wants in your life. Are you convicted about time that waking up each day matters? How you spend your time. Cultivating a relationship with God. If you say you're His. Cultivating a relationship with your spouse, your children. He is convicted here about time. 
convicted about the need to share. And he shares. So I would ask, what is your conviction about time? Are you, you, time is a gift that we all have. And how are, you, how are you using it? How are you stewarding that time? He's also convicted about history. So not only is he convicted about the present, he's convicted, Peter is, about the past. Like, where do you see that? He does say this. Verse 23. He says, Though he, Jesus, was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. He's saying that what you're seeing here, what this is, is that. God's plan all throughout. What we have is the Old Testament. What he's like is the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. He's saying, what's going on now? He's saying this, this is that. God's foreknowledge, God's plan. He's saying history is his story. That's why we say, as we've already said earlier today, there are no accidents, no accidents you're here. God's determined plan. And sometimes uh, those of us who like control don't really like that. Because we're like, and I thought I was in control of my plan and everything. Yeah, I mean, we have choices. We have decisions. But God knows. God knows. And God is orchestrating. Some things we can see, some things we can't. He orchestrated our past. He's orchestrated all of history. So there's this conviction that all things happen for a reason. And if we're his, all things work for good. All things. The hurts we have, the joys, the blessings, the learnings, the knowledge, the people... It's all in Christ. I mean, one of the things, one of the reasons I'm a Christian is because the Bible says it all, it's all good. And it's all going to be good. So he has this conviction about the, both the present and the past. And then, and I, I would really, I'd really like to preach this. It's, it's, it's another churchy Christian cliche. But he's got a conviction about the Bible. He's got a conviction about Scripture. How would you say that? He doesn't just come out and say it. Well, you know, again, Peter was not a learned man. When I say that, he was not, like, intelligent. I mean, he was smart and everything. But, like, not educated or anything opposite from Paul. But yet he had been spending time reading the Scriptures and reading the Bible. And he now was connecting the dots. He was saying, like, hey, the present right now, i got to do this. He was saying, the past has meaning, and here's some proof of it. And he starts quoting these Scriptures. Last week we looked at it. Quoted the prophet Joel. Now he's, uh, he's quoting David through the Psalms over and over again. He's tying it all together. He's inter- interweaving the scriptures of before with what's happening now. And Peter, you know, at this point, they did not have the New Testament. They didn't have the book of Acts that we're looking at, or the Gospels, or Romans, or Galatians, or any of that. So he had this conviction about the Bible. Scripture. I, I would say this, the Bible, and you know we do Bible reading plan, and we encourage you to do that, and, and I do it, and we encourage you to meditate on God's Word, we encourage you to um, memorize God's Word, you know, why is that? I, I don't want it to be a churchy thing, I don't want it to be like a cliche, I don't want you to feel like you have to do it, but I do believe that it is one book, with one author, the Holy Spirit, with one message, with one hero, Jesus, and it's all pointing to Him. And to know that, we need to be more and more saturated with it. Two verses put up on the screen real quick. One is by Peter. So he did write later on, 2 Peter 1, 20-21. And he's talking about the Holy Scriptures here. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture 
comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were being carried by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying all the things, he's like, well, you just said sayings, not writings. Well, those sayings are written in the Old Testament. And that all of them, from Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Joel, being carried by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is literally through their hands and their mouths is writing this book. You know, it's, it's amazing that the Bible is written over the course of about, you know, at least 1,500 years, and it all connects together. Uh, another passage, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture, all Scripture, yes, even Leviticus, okay, is inspired, I know when you get that, hit that Leviticus time season in the year, it's like, oh man, here we go. All Scripture, though, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. All Scripture, it's over above even our own, our reason, our emotions, uh, cultural philosophies, all Scripture. You can preach Jesus out of Leviticus. I haven't tried. I don't know when I'm going to try that, but you can. All Scripture. A conviction about the Bible. So I would challenge you here, even if you're like, man, I just, you know, I'm trying, I mean, I'm doing it. I'm, I don't want it to ever be like that for you or for me. And some days it's like that for me. I would like you to just see the Bible as a, to desire it, to desire to know more. And, and look, in this life, uh, many of us, I mean, me included, we'll just hit the tip of the iceberg. That's why it's so awesome, just to, to let it penetrate you. Because as it penetrates you, the Holy Spirit will penetrate you. So he was convicted about Scripture. Most of all, in this passage, he was convicted about Jesus Christ. And I'd ask all of us, you know, are we... Are we convicted about him? Convicted like he's the only way to salvation. You would say, I would say, yeah, sure. I mean, amen, bro. He's the only way to salvation. Really? Because often we don't act like it. Look, often I don't act like it. When the devil's real and he attacks, but we're like, well, I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of saved in this world if I have enough money and have enough friends or have enough of the right friends and have this looking style house or this looking style kids or, you know, my marriage is just blissful and um, just always romantic, which is a lie of the devil, by the way. Love changes. We won't get into that today. Uh, But we believe, we really, our conviction is that really saves us. I mean, if I'm being honest, I mean, we can go back to the Jesus say, many don't live that way. And if you're, if if we're being honest, we all don't live that way. That way all the time because there's sin in us. But the Bible always leads us back and back to Jesus as Peter does here. He says, and and if you really look through this passage, there's a pattern of who Jesus is. And it's really awesome. Peter Peter turned brilliant really quick. Verse 22, starting off, this Jesus of Nazareth saying it was Jesus of a city. He was human. He was born and raised here. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, signs. So he's like, this Jesus was born and raised and lived, and he did many wonders and signs. Some folks in, in history, some folks who aren't Christians believe that. Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, verse 24. 
which he did, which we believe, the resurrection. God raised him up. So we say he's a great man, experienced resurrection. But then Peter says, he quotes the Psalms in David. Verse 27, you will not abandon me in, in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. Now, then he goes and he says, now, David's tomb is actually right over here. And they could walk by and see David's tomb. So they're like, what is he, what is he meaning here? Well, he's saying, one, Jesus was raised, and for us to believe in him, and this is today. Fortunately, I've been to like four funerals already this year. And, you know, they're, they're funerals, and they're the graveside, and they're, they're coffins. But first, there's a spiritual resurrection in Christ. Ephesians uh, 2, 6, love Ephesians. Chris quoted earlier, Ephesians 2, 6. We read this, and often we think about the future. This is when, you're, when you know Christ, when you accept Christ, when you receive Christ, when you become a Christian. It says, He also, God also, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Paul is actually meaning that for the Christians then and Christians now, right now, that a spiritual resurrection happens. You only know this and experience this by the Holy Spirit. Not by me, not by any other preacher, teacher, because with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Like, I can't do that. I mean, I can't do it a lot, but I certainly can't do that, help you experience that. But the Bible says, and this pattern that we're just looking at, not just Jesus, but a conviction about the scripture, is that's possible. That happens. Your spirit field. There's this spiritual resurrection first. Just like there was a spiritual resurrection in Jesus' life, on Friday, before the body was raised on Sunday. What happened to him, if we're in him, will exactly happen to us. Not necessarily in the time frame, okay? Not three days. But those coffins that I saw will one day open. How how do you know that? That's a little weird. The Bible says it, brothers, sisters, that there will, the spiritual resurrection is a hint at the physical resurrection that will come. And so David's body and your body, if you're in Christ, and there'll be resurrection. But then he goes on about Jesus. He's like, you know, it doesn't even end there. Verse 32, verse 33. He is now exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit could only come when Jesus was beside the Father. He has poured this out now, which we're talking about. And then verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so he ends, that word Lord, again, churchy word, Christianese word, like we know it. But in the original Greek that it was written, uh, was the same word as Yahweh, which God told to Moses in Exodus. And connecting all the dots, he's saying he, he's, he's Lord. He's Lord. He is uh, kurios, is the Greek word. There's my, my Greek, ancient Greek there, kurios. You know, what's interesting is, if you know church history, and I, I love this stuff, Caesar, okay, Caesar would always arrest the Christians and say, all you have to say, the guards would tell him this, all you have to say is Kaiser... 
Kaiser meaning Caesar. Kaiser Curios. Kaiser Curios. As in Caesar's Lord. And they would say, Christos Curios. There's my Greek for you. Christos Curios. They said, no, no, no. Kaiser Curios. No. Christos Curios. To the lines or the galleys. Death. Who's your Lord? Because there are a lot of still competing interests on saying, this is really Lord. Lord of your life. Christos, Jesus Christ. Are you convicted about that at all? Lastly, two things, and, and maybe for us these are most important. He was convicted about the need for salvation. And that that only happens by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So they say, what shall we do? And you could say that to me, well, what shall I do? And we say that over and over again. What shall we do? The Holy Spirit convicts us to be convicted. John 14, look up on screen. This is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, John 16, 7, 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, there's that word, what is it? Convict the world about sin, about righteousness and judgment. Sometimes we go through life and the Holy Spirit, honestly, it's so, he can do anything, but we've built up so many walls and so many other things are Lord that we just don't, we don't, we don't hear the Holy Spirit. We're not convicted at all. We're not convicted about our sin. We're not convicted about our Savior. Holy Spirit wants to convict us. And so what do we do? Peter says it, repent and be baptized. First, repent. Repent, you know, honestly, there are three words for repent in Scripture. And sometimes we do one of the three. One is the most popular. Repent is like a turn from this lifestyle. So like, I'm going to quit this, okay? Uh, I'm going to quit drinking. Or I'm going to quit partying. Or I'm going to quit... Um, hanging out with these folks. Those are easy examples. But one word in the Bible, repent, means to turn to a different lifestyle. The other one, and some of us feel this, means regret. Regret over like, man, I'm just messed up or I messed my life up. So one is to turn, the second one is to regret. The word, though, that Peter uses is different. When he says repent... He's meaning a, a change of mind, a change of seeing things. And it means to see that there's sin in me, that, that I can't stand before God as I am. Uh, even the good that I do, some would say, is sin because I want to do it for the wrong reasons. I want to do it to impress or even prove myself to God. There's this void, there's this stain. So the repent that he uses is change of mind. That the only thing that saves us is nothing, nothing we do, no good works, not, being, not li- even living a holy life, which does come later, but that doesn't save us. It's this knowledge of, I need Jesus. And then to be baptized, I always say this, you're not saved by your baptism. You're saved by Jesus when you turn and trust in him. But baptism is this sign, and we do encourage it. I know we're 
scheduling several baptisms for, for Easter. And if you haven't been baptized, I'd, I'd love to talk to you. But baptism is the sign of what is happening inside. Baptism is a visible sign of the invisible washing and renewing of your life. Being spirit-filled. And it's also a sign that from now on, this is why it's so important that we talk and really know what it is. From now on, you're going to turn and trust in Jesus. Yes, you will sin. Yes, I will sin. Yes, sin still remains in us. But we turn and trust in Jesus. We know we can't save ourselves. Nothing in this world can save us, but Jesus Christ can. And the last thing that he is convicted about is an urgency. Like some of you today is like, man, you preach this, and I, I heard a couple of things, or, or man, you know, I really liked it. Or some of you may be like, you know, this sounds good, you know, all that. But there's no urgency. There, there's really, there's often not. There's often not an urgency to repent. There's often not an urgency to repent to a brother and sister. Often not an urgency to like, I hadn't been baptized, I should consider it. We feel like we do have 85 years, at least. And many of us don't. Many of us don't. I mean, not to scare you or anything, but, but some of you are, um, you know, some of you are, you may be old in the world's eyes, you may be young in God's eyes, you know. Some of you may be young in the world's eyes, you may be old in God's eyes. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, we kind of lack an urgency about, like, the need for salvation. Peter does not. He's convicted about this urgency. What do I do? Repent. And be baptized today. Because in the last days. We're in the last days. I, mean, I believe Jesus could come today. Jesus could come tomorrow. Why? Well, scripture says that. The next great sign, the next great revelation will be second coming. And that will happen. Where are you? Like, do you have any sense of urgency? Where are you like, man, I've got a, got a decent church. I can kind of come and go as I please. You know, it's okay now and then. I mean, you're kind of drifting, complacent. Is there any urgency? I, I, can, I can attempt to convict you, but I can press that the Holy Spirit wants to convict you. An urgency about life. An urgency about Jesus. An urgency about urgency. Last little story, and then we're going to move into communion. Um, 3,000 were saved that day. 3,000. 3,000 by this broken man who... You know, you could argue that he was simple, um, denied Jesus. 3,000, were they saved by Peter? No. God used Peter. They were saved by the Holy Spirit. Brother David Mulder read that, most of that sermon there. And just, you think just reading that sermon, and it's not David, I could read, anybody could read, just reading the sermon, 3,000 saved, well, they're not 3,000 here. Biggest church in the world, just read that, 3,000 saved, No. Right, well, it could happen. It could happen only by the Holy Spirit. Just reading it, it's only the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I would argue probably the greatest preacher in the last 500 years. A guy named George Whitfield. You can debate me on that, but he's, I, most folks say he's definitely top three. A guy named George Whitfield. Look him up, George Whitfield. Uh, in England and in America, he helped really build our country. You know your history. George Whitfield, he would always go in England to the poor. And a lot of times he would go out to miners. And this is when miners were treated like, I mean, miners were hell on earth, like literally, <laughs> physically down, down deep, hell on earth. They were poor folks, needed a job. I mean, imagine this, miners, you know, you don't see daylight. 
And he would go to these, these mines and he would preach the gospel. And their stories, and I love the beauty of this, they would, they would come up and they would they'd hear Brother Whitfield preach and their faces would be like black sooted. Just black, you know, just, they'd still listen to him. And he'd preach and they'd say, pretty soon you'd see, see lines, streaks running down their faces, white streaks of the tears. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's not George Whitfield. It's a movement of God, the Spirit of God, moving. And it's possible any time, but often our hearts, man, we close it up. So I am convicted about a couple things. I'm convicted. I'm convicted about this church. Like we love global church. We love big church, all that. Like big C church. I'm convicted about this church. I'm convicted that the best days are ahead of this church. The future. I'm convicted that uh, who knows what God could do through the people of this church. And I say that, and I love other church, but hey, I'm called here. And you, I'm convicted that the Holy Spirit can move in you, but I'm also convicted the Holy Spirit wants to move in you, and you need to allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. Because it can easy, it's so easy just to get complacent and like humdrum and like take for granted the time God's given us, the days God has given us. So I'm very convicted what the Holy Spirit can do. And I'm also convicted that, that we need to repent. And, and some of you need to be baptized. But most of all, your heart should be open up and alive to the, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit today and each day. Do you even desire that? Do you even give credit for like, well, you know, I mean, I'm here. It's, you know, it's an off day football-wise. You know, it's that one kind of weird week. There's no football games. I'm here. Is that it? I'm just a man. Our elders are just men. Holy Spirit is God. And he rests in here. He does. I, I know that. But I don't want him to fill this place. The only way he fills this place, he fills you. The people of God. So we're going to pray. We're going to get ready for communion. Those who are helping, come on up. We're going to do something a little different today. Hey, one desire I have for this church is, um, and I say this, over, I don't want us to be tepid. I hate that word. You can look it up. Tepid is, I felt... I was being tepid earlier in the service when a couple of folks wanted to clap and it was just like, well, they bring I don't care, man. Like, I don't care. You know me. And the other thing is, it, it's interesting that you wanted to share, and thank you, Kayla, but when Linda and I, and she's not here today, don't you love spirit-filled Sunday swim meets? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but we were in Italy, okay, and the church we were at, they, they do something like this. And you didn't know this, but we as staff been talking about how could we get people to share after the sermon. And we're actually going to look to do it next Sunday. Just like two or three, not everybody. But I do believe the people of God speak to the people of God. And sometimes more than me, okay? So, that's to come. But right now, thank you all for sharing. I'd love for you to share your hearts with the Lord. So we're going to be inviting you to take communion. 
and it's going to be open. There's going to be no ushers. So you don't have to take communion, or you can wait in your own time to take communion. And we're going to have four stations. We usually do two. I've asked our elders, Chris Kellum, David Carroll, uh, to join with uh, two folks on staff, Neil, Gowdy, and Hunter. They're going to be having communion over in the corner here. Okay. Now, for them, the real reason is not to have four stations, but like if you want a little privacy, if you'd like to share, if you'd like to repent, if you'd like someone to like, we just stop and pray for you, uh, they're there for that. Our, our elders lead our church, most of all, in prayer. Um, we do it very unseen throughout the week and gathered on Wednesdays. But like, if there's a burden, if something, if you have been convicted in a way, they're there. And then we'll be opening, open everybody up, communion here. So whatever you want to do, but this is, it's your call. Come as you want, come when you want. Uh, get your heart right with God. That is the right way to take communion. Because we're coming to see what Jesus has done for you, how we are saved. If you call this church home, and I'd love for those of you to call this church home to really be convicted. Hey, this is my home. I'd love for those who are thinking about this as a home to be like, you know, I'm convicted the Lord's leading me here. I desire that. This is your opportunity to give for the missions and ministries here. And we do this. One is the family of Bellwether Church, also the family of God together. So we invite and encourage come to the Lord's table. And I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll move into worship. And you just come as you desire, and there are elders that will pray with you. Lord, convict us by your spirit, for your kingdom, leading people to Jesus today, always, and eternity. In your name, amen.